Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to take a little moment of personal privilege and thank Tim Fortenberry for his reading of our gospel uh, today. This is Tim Sunday. Love the story of Thomas. And so when I asked him to read, he was so excited. And he read beautifully. Thank you, Tim. A few of us, during the season of Lent, spent some time in a book study, an online book study, talking about Brian McLaren's book, Faith After Doubt, why your beliefs stopped working and what to do about it. It was a pretty intense book, to be real honest. Uh, And we struggled with some things, which is, I think, the whole point of the book, right? Um, And I want to say that McLaren's whole point of the book, in a nutshell, and it's so much more than this, is that it is actually doubt that arises in us that can propel us into a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing, a new way of hearing, a new way of being in the world. It's an amazing concept that when we run into problems in our lives and it causes our theological cage to be rattled, that it is that exact rattling that can propel us into new understandings, new relationship with God. Now, let us confess that even though we celebrated Easter and the resurrection of Jesus last Sunday, let's confess that many of us still have our doubts. I mean... Isn't that right? Or we might not have them today in Texas on this beautiful, cool spring April day with a crystal blue sky. But something, some things happen that can cause us to question, to wonder, to doubt. So... As McLaren suggests, what are we to do when our beliefs no longer work for us? I want to remind you, and I've said this many times before, the word belief tends to uh, point us toward an intellectual agreement or assent. It is something we intellectually know. And we often intellectually know that as true which has often been interpreted as an absolute, as an unwavering faith. That in order to claim belief, we have to have no doubts. But I want to tell you that actually, that word belief is often interchanged with the word faith. And faith is a wholly different thing. And in the Hebrew scriptures, we learn that the word faith can actually be interpreted as trust. And trust is intangible. It's not like an intellectual absolute. Trust is more fluid, perhaps more mystical. 
Thus, the question becomes, are we able to trust the story of Jesus' resurrection? Are we able to trust the story in a mystical way and discover the truths that are revealed about Jesus, about God, about the Holy Spirit, about all of life and creation? Instead of insisting on absolute beliefs, I think the gospel story today reveals for us that there are other answers to our faith and trust in God. This is the second Sunday of the season of Easter. It, it's a 50-day season. It's a seven-week season, which is sort of a poetic justice, isn't it, that we just spent 40 days six weeks preparing for this 50-day season. A reoccurring theme in the resurrection appearances that we hear in the early Christian stories show us that they were struggling to perceive what was happening and to believe in it. I mean, consider that from right in the early morning of that first Easter, the risen Christ isn't recognized. Mary Magdalene thinks he's a gardener. In the closing passages of the Gospel of John, the disciples don't recognize him as he is on the beach. This is after other resurrection appearances, I might add. In this way, the Gospel of John and the writer go out of their way to suggest that resurrection means something more mysterious than simple resuscitation. Part of what seems to be going on here is that early Christian communities wrestled with the fact that so many people did not recognize Jesus' return. And another part of what is going on here is the idea of what resurrection actually means. And that understanding in the gospel seem, and even in the New Testament writings seems to defy any kind of traditional category. <laughs> I'm wrong with that word. In any case, Jesus has returned. And just as he told the disciples he would. But only a few have eyes to see. Even the closest of his followers need help. So it's important to remember here that the Gospel of John is organized around seven signs, seven miraculous signs. And this is a tension. There's a tension between these miracles and how Jesus repeatedly tells those who witness it, you need to go deeper. It's not just about what you're seeing. You need to open your heart and go deeper, go higher. There are more important matters at work here. And Jesus repeatedly calls on them around him to do things like, you know, after he feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. I mean, it's a, if he says, don't focus on the how of this. It's not about how this happened. Focus on the fact that I'm offering the bread of life. In fact, I am the bread of life. 
Go deeper. Reach higher, Jesus says. So as we come to today's gospel story, it is the evening of that first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene has declared to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. But as night falls, the disciples aren't having any of it. They're holed up in a locked house in an upper room for fear of the religious authorities. So consider that the story of the resurrection of Jesus begins with doubt as the disciples fear that all is lost and they reject Mary's proclamation. Fear still reigns in their hearts and souls. Mystically and unhindered by locked doors, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears and stands among them, saying, Peace be with you, which is a miracle in and of itself. Since the last time we saw these disciples, they were running harem scarum away from his crucifixion, abandoning him completely. And yet he says to them, Peace be with you, not just once, multiple times. And then what happens? This risen Jesus shows them his wounds. Now, why do you think that is? Does he look so different that he shows him, them the wounds as a, a way of helping them identify him? Or does he look more or less the same, but the wounds prove he is the actual person that they saw crucified. Or maybe he's trying to assure them that torture and death have been overcome and that he has somehow, like Lazarus, escaped the tomb. If the disciples are still doubting, Jesus' actions seem designed to ease their Easter doubt that death still has dominion, that physical resurrection is impossible, that no one can die and rise again. But there's another possibility to consider. It's the possibility that doesn't have to do with the reality of the resurrection at all, but has to do with the doubt that Jesus is the actual Messiah that is predicted in their holy scriptures. Because, you see, the real Messiah, in their opinion, would rise from death and triumph in vulnerable splendor. But this Jesus emerges as a suffering servant, still marked by vulnerability, by fragility and wounds. This Messiah, acting on behalf of a wounded world, has risen as a wounded Savior. As evidence of this, Jesus immediately displays his hands and side to them. God's beloved one comes not as a military conqueror with no blemish at all, but rather as a strong and peaceful shepherd bearing the wounds of the world, the child of God, the child of all humanity. The early pages of the Gospel of John tell us that Jesus is the Word made flesh. And we know that flesh is vulnerable, fragile, 
All of which brings us to this disciple often called Doubting Thomas. Though the word doubt doesn't actually appear in the text. In fact, Thomas asks for what the others have already received, right? Including the opportunity to inspect Jesus' wounds. So what is it? Why does Thomas ask to see the wounds? The fear that all is lost, suspicion that the resurrection is impossible. Is this the true Messiah or not? Or all three? What's interesting is that Thomas isn't any more willing to take their word for it than they were willing to take Mary Magdalene's word for it. He's right in there with them and they're right in there with him. And I think that Thomas represents the disciples and anyone, anywhere, at any time who has had doubt about their beliefs and their faith. In fact, I believe that Thomas is the patron saint of doubters. Or maybe the patron saint of progressive and liberal Christians who ask a lot of questions. Because that's really what he does. He asks questions. In fact... He's the one who represents a reformed faith that says God is still speaking. And if God is still speaking, there are still questions to ask. There are still answers to find. In this way, the tension in Gospels, John comes to a head. Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Jesus says to Thomas and by extension to the disciples and all of us, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. See, Jesus is doing a new thing, which is what Jesus did throughout all of the Gospels. And the new thing is that now, now our faith will not be bound by physicality. Now our faith will be bound by witness, by proclaiming what we trust to be true. So Jesus, the risen Christ, breathes the Holy Spirit upon the followers and commissions them, sending them out to announce the good news to persuade on the basis of testimony, of hearing, but not seeing. And Thomas, forever labeled the doubting disciple, it is said in the mystery of the church and in the tradition of the church that he left Jerusalem and in his faith he traveled to India and perhaps even China. And there he gave testimony to the love of God revealed in Jesus, the risen, living Christ. Still, what are we contemporary contemporary postmodern Christians to do with all of this? Even post-Easter, we live in a broken world. The challenges we face are significant. The personal wounds we continue to carry are real. How do we square our reality with the resurrection? How do we move from doubt to faith and trust? I think the gospel story today seems to tell us that Jesus is saying, I get that you need to see my wounds, touch my body in order to believe, and I will oblige you that. But there's a deeper faith at work here. 
And I need you to go deeper and reach higher to encounter the mystery of God, the mystery of God in me, in you, in all of us, and in all of creation. And Jesus' blessing that they and we are blessed when we do not see and yet come to believe, Jesus calls those disciples and calls and commissions us into a deeper faith. So it would seem that the resurrection, the sign of all signs, isn't the end, but the beginning. And the good news for us today is that resurrection comes in many forms in the gospel stories and in the Easter season. And the mystery around them can help open our eyes to the ways in which God raises up new life. The stories remind us that resurrection literally means standing again. It's not only and just about Jesus, but also about the community of disciples and moving them from fear to liberated witnesses. So why would Jesus teach and encourage the disciples and us to move beyond signs and wonders? Well, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews puts it that Faith is a conviction of things unseen. Signs and wonders have their place, certainly, but Jesus wants to lead followers into a faith that can flourish even when things cannot be seen. Faith sees beyond the visible, beyond the surface of things, and so it brings light to the world. Even when hope is lost and we wander in the valley of the shadow of death, where no signs and wonders can be found. So I know what you're thinking, just like I did with the water. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, but do I have to believe in Jesus' physical resurrection from the dead? If you have doubts, you're in good company, both in Scripture and in the church. Do you believe? Then you're in good company, too. Though much of scripture warns us against letting our believing become too settled, too complacent. The great Swiss theologian Karl Barth pointed out that miracle stories, including resurrection stories, are designed to astonish us. And astonishment, after all, is a blend of belief and disbelief. And we then are invited through our astonishment and doubt into an open-minded, open-hearted posture of Easter faith that includes Easter doubt and Easter joy. So in my sermon on Easter Sunday, I ask everybody to spend the next 50 days in the season of Easter discovering resurrection because as Richard Rohr taught us, resurrection is exploding all around us all the time. And then we will discover the mystery of it and understand the gift of it. So I have some things I want to tell you about. This week I have witnessed the lavender buds on the tree in our courtyard turn into small heart-shaped red leaves. I don't know when it happened. I have no idea how it really happens. Oh, I know there's some scientific things about, you know, leaves and trees how did it happen?
even after a life-stealing snow and ice storm, there was resurrection. I listened yesterday at the words of the hymn, For All the Saints Who From Their Labors Rest. It rang out over the internet in the celebration of the life of our former conference minister, Doug Enders. And suddenly I was awash in goosebumps. And I don't know how that happened. I don't understand how the internet really works. I just know that there were 150 people on that call from all over the United States. And there we were, all together, hearing a profound song of faith. And I call that resurrection. And yesterday, as we pulled up the shrubs that didn't make it through the storm, the ground beneath them littered with the rotting leaves from that same tree in our courtyard. There were earthworms everywhere. How did they make it through that storm? I call that resurrection. And yesterday, I also received a text from a dear friend whose husband died earlier this year. Speaking of her anguish over missing his physical body, hugging her, holding her hand, looking into her eyes. And yet, in that same text, she moves. And I have no idea how she does it in her anguish. She moves from that anguish into joy. Joy at having known him and loved him. And I call that resurrection. Brian McLaren would say that it is our doubts if we have eyes to see and ears to hear that move us from death into new life, which we call resurrection. So, with the courage to doubt. Now we rise. Amen.